bienvenidos a Thrivecast. ¿Cómo está Jessalyn? ¿Cómo está? Uh, quiero un chin de café. C that, was, that was close. That was oh, close. Oh. So, um, welcome to Thrivecast again. We've got... <laughs> <laughs> We're having fun over here. And that was a little Dominican slang for you. She asked me if I wanted a little tiny Chinese amount of coffee. I'm and very <laughs> fluent, guys. You, I'm sure you can tell good. by the hesitation and the fear in my yeah, voice that good. I am very fluent in spanish and especially dominican slang dominican slang is she's that's her specialty so oh yeah it's great i majored in dominican slang in college actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the street language <laughs> the language of the street the language of the anyways well uh, i don't know what that has to do necessarily with mm. um, what we're doing today but it's kind of fun. We're having a guest here. You probably heard another voice on there, and his name is Roger Simmons. Wait, we're having a guest? We're having... We never have guests on this show. No, I don't know what you're... That's well, new. Ben, I don't know if we can handle this. Mm, awkward. Anyway, so um, Roger actually met his wife in the Dominican, and so I taught Jessalyn before he got here how to say, um, quiere un chin de café, which means you want a little bit of coffee. He doesn't like coffee, but in the Dominican, if someone offers you coffee, you go, okay, I'll take a little coffee. So mm -hmm. then he said no, and I told her to say, well, you have to take one, you know, this is my house or whatever. <laughs> so he was all thrown off because he didn't know she spoke Spanish. Which and I she's, she's learning, but it's funny because, you know, it was a very cultural thing. Anyway, so that was uh, Roger's welcome to this morning as we're having this show, and it was really fun. He was a little surprised, so... There might be some more surprises for you, Roger. Good luck. Um, Probably not. But anyways, um, let me introduce Roger, and then I'll let him talk about himself. And we're welcome to the show, Roger. And um, so Roger is actually the a community coordinator for the west side of Elgin, or actually all of Elgin, I guess now, at uh, Fox Valley Christian Action, which is located in uh, St. Charles, Illinois, and focuses on the King County and serves under-resourced and connects um, the local church and organizations to serve these communities. And actually, Roger was raised in a community on the west side of Elgin himself, um, a government Section 8 sort of housing community, and was able to get scholarship and go to college and is now a thriving um, businessman and also... Um, ministry worker and those kind of things and social social work and those kind of things and he um has a wife and two children and his wife is dominican and so she he went down there and lived there so bienvenidos welcome and uh go ahead and tell us more about yourself oh one more thing i wanted to mention was that um <clears throat> he is uh the cross-cultural instructor and facilitator at an organization he started called cross in culture which i really like that because it's it makes you think a lot um it's got a lot of symbolism there and uh, i was joking with him earlier about you know you read that in the hood you're like man I'm crossing culture you know what i'm saying bro we, we feel across this culture you know and then if you're a white person you're like hmm cross i think they left a g out of that crossing culture there's a g that's supposed to be there anyway so roger welcome go ahead and uh, yes. share more a little bit more about yourself whatever you want to share and then we'll get into the content and talk yes yes well i'm delighted to be here with ben and his wife and um, like Ben said, I'm an Elgenite, you know, so I was, wasn't born in Elgin, but I was raised in Elgin all of my life. And um, being here in Elgin, I have had the opportunity to um, serve in different organizations, um, particularly in the communities. My, my thrive has been mostly working in under-resourced communities, pretty much communities that, that I was born in, you know, and I was raised in. So um, what we was raised is that you never forget where you come from. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, um, no matter how successful you get in life, uh, where you've been in life, you, you always remember uh, where you came from. You remember the relationships, people that you grew up with, people that have impacted your life. Yeah. Um, no matter where they at in life as well, you know, you remember how they have impacted you and influenced you, um, particularly for the good. Um, I grew up with a single parent mom. It was my brother, my sister, and then later my mom had twins. So it was total. Of, it was wow. five of us. And that was at Clifford Court. That was in Clifford Court. Wow. And Can we, you explain Clifford Court to people, yeah. just the size of it and what it's like and stuff? Because I, yeah, you know, if you haven't, I was a camp manager at the organization he worked at. Right. So I got to work with uh, this, these communities quite a bit. But yeah. a lot of people don't know anything about them. Yeah. it's um, Clifford Court is one of the, the, the subsidized housing from the Elgin Housing Authority. You know, you have several in Elgin. Clifford Court is actually the largest one that's in Elgin. Mm. And I call Clifford Court the community from down under because <laughs> you can't see it off of any of the main yeah. street. It's off of Route 31. When you go off of Route 31, yeah, you turn yeah. down the street called Frazier, 
Yeah. And you drive and you go down the hill under the railroad tracks. And then Clifford Court is tucked away on your left-hand side. Yeah. So Clifford Court sits between the railroad tracks, the Fox River, and then you have um, the, the water plant, which is right there that gives off yeah, isn't a that really smell. Isn't that really nice that they just built that right next to where the poop comes in? Oh, uh, yeah, man. It, it yeah. Was, it, you, know, when it was, you know, when it was built back in, I want to say, 69, I think it was in February 69, it was built, that they said in the newspaper, they said it, was, it became an instant ghetto. Wow. Instantly it became like a ghetto wow. because it was pretty much tucked away from everything. The nearest grocery store was was Gromers at that time. Mm-hmm. And um then we had Eagles, but you had to, you know, you had to have a car to get there. Yeah. Because you know, we was tucked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tucked away. And Nobody not everybody knows. in that area does. No. Nah. You know, um, you know, so mm-hmm. we somewhat in a hole, you know, tucked away from resources. We were away from libraries or um recreational centers. Things yeah. of that sort, girls and boy, boys club, those things yeah. didn't exist at that time. So we pretty much living in that community, you know, we had to be somewhat innovative. You know, I remember one time, you know, you know, just living down there. We, <laughs> Man, that means something different in the hood, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it was you know, innovative. It, yeah, yeah, I'm an be, entrepreneur. You yeah, you selling drugs. You man. had to be innovative. I'm serious. Yeah. You had to be innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can remember, you know, we had down there like a little playground and it was like this big wheel. Like it was like you like you're driving. It's this big, big wheel. So it was like you can pretend like you're driving. And he's making the, and, um, the hand motion of, of moving I'm a wheel. So, correct. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a big wheel, you know, and, and it's like you can put your hands on it. You can pretend like you're driving. Right. So I used to get down there. I used to get down there and I used to get on the wheel. And whenever I felt like I want to just get out of there get out of the community, uh-huh. I would go down there and I would pretend, pretend like I was driving out wow. of the parking lot, up the hill, up to Route 31, look both ways, left and right, and just drive and out of there. Never come back. Yeah. You know? Wow. And in my mind, I was doing that. And I yeah. was maybe nine, wow. eight, eight years old. And I was like just imagining myself driving out of there, you know, in the playground. So and, um, thank you for sharing that. And what were the apartments like? Apartments, you know, it was a roll of apartments. It was four, you know, each roll of apartments. It had four apartments, like a big building. It had four apartments, different apartments uh-huh. that was connected to each other, and we was very in close proximity to each other. How many other. bedrooms did yours have, or whatever? You had five kids. You would have um, some apartments. Most apartments had three bedrooms. Okay. Then you had some apartments. You had like two apartments. I remember it had like five. Then you had like a couple that had four. Then you had some that had two. So you had different sizes. How many did you guys have or whatever? You don't know. We started off in a three-bedroom. Yeah. Okay? Because it was me, my, my mother, my brother, and my sister. So my sister had a bedroom. My, my mom had a bedroom. Then you my, and me and my brother, brother shared. were shared. Yeah, yeah. And then my mom, you know, she had twins. Then we, obviously, the family got bigger. Yeah. And we moved over to another apartment that had four bedrooms. Okay. Which so is still pretty tight. It's still know, pretty tight, but we, we made, made the most work. of it. You made it work. Made them made it work. So talk a little bit about, I've heard your history before yeah. on the um, welfare system, government yeah. subsidized, right. you know, I know you're very passionate about that. I mean, you've talked to me about the the destruction of the African American, particularly that's who lived in there at the time of instituting those, the, the African American, like the laws destroyed because the fathers had to live in a different area, right? Do you? Can you give like a yeah? And I know you've done extensive research, but can you yeah. give like an overview for our listeners just of what just an overview what took place? You know, sure. Clifford Court used to be called Mexico City hmm. years ago, but back in the 1930s, immigrants came up hmm. and they used to live there. There was actually mobile homes there okay. before there was apartments. Okay, and so you had it was all Mexicans, immigrants that lived there, little shacks and things like that lived there, and they eventually moved them out because the living condition just wasn't livable. They moved all of them out, and then they they built these apartments, which was became Clifford Courts. The HUD bought this land from the water plant for one dollar. Wow. Whoa. Okay, so that tells you what they really thought about the land. <laughs> so they oh. bought it from one dollar. So they wow. built these apartments, which were Clifford Court, and predominantly, well, all black families, particularly poor black families, moved into these apartments. So you didn't have to have like a certain income. If you was poor, you can move in there. Okay? So you have families that came up, black families that came up from the South, primarily from Alabama, yeah. Arkansas, Tennessee, um, even parts of Indiana that moved into the Clifford Court. So they was poor and they were single parent mothers, you know, that brought their children 
and um, they live there. So when you got the single parent moms that come up, and then the fathers are not there because that time, you know, dads, you know, they couldn't be on the lease. Wow. Because they weren't married, or because um, because of the income level. You follow me? So yeah. If men so had it to, would skew it basically. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. So you would have what you call those who was on the lease. If you allow me to use that yeah, word, yeah. then you have what you that that population. Then yeah. you have what you call the underground population. Yeah. Those are the ones that wasn't on the lease, don't supposed to be living there, but they were living there. Yeah, you follow me? Yeah, illegally. Yeah. So that's the one you're knocking at the door, and they're like, "Who is it? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who is it? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Because they yeah. want to know who it is. Right. Because so, you have a so why there. was it that they couldn't be on the lease? Um, for one, they they did not qualify because the the mother was not married with husband uh-huh. um and 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 it mostly was for mothers who was on low income mm-hmm. so they weren't married they they didn't have any kind of relationship with their husband or um the the children's father so sometimes the children's father was on was incarcerated mm-hmm. so once they get out of jail you know that you can't move into their you know an apartment complex Got that it. was you know wow. not prohibited it's it's so. just sad because there were almost laws or statutes or rules that basically separated. It separated the family and totally. And wow. Totally. That that doesn't help. It doesn't help you at know. all. So I'm, then, say they did get married, then could they move in, or would that skew the low income thing, and then they'd have to leave, or like how how did that work? That that's a good point. There, um, I have known of cases. I have seen families there that had fathers in the home. Okay, mm-hmm. not all of them was like single parent and moms. Mm-hmm. There are fathers who were there. This is a tricky thing that comes because the fathers were working, mm-hmm. but they wasn't reporting their income. Mm-hmm. Because once you report that income, then you have to get out. Exactly. Yeah. Then wow. you 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 yeah. it. You yeah. Follow so me? then you're kicked out of your community. Ex- exactly. Right. So you will have uh, like I knew of some families where <clears throat> there was a man in a home that was married to you know his wife. And, you know, he was making very good money. But that money was not being reported mm-hmm. to Elgin Housing Authority. Yeah. You follow me? Mm-hmm. You know, so for them to keep that apartment, that man, he can live there, but he can't report his income. So if someone come and, hey, you know, we're coming to check out who's all on the lease, you know, oh, me, my, my daughter, my, my son, but he would not be reported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he's just, you know, come, oh, he's just my... My friend, or he's my my brother. Different stories uncle, that come up. Uncle, you follow yeah, me? Yeah. And then people in the community, they didn't, you know, they kind of stayed out of each other's business. So you didn't see the one going out to the Elgin Housing Authority reporting right. yeah. those right. kind of things. Because they know it was about a survival. It was a survival yeah, thing. You, yeah. you do what you got to do based exactly. on the laws. So you have like to that. keep yourself at the low income level, or else you're. You have to go find a lot more expensive housing outside of your community then. I mean, yeah. So what if I, I'm a single mom and I go to college and I get a great job because I got the education I needed or I got a, an internship or I got whatever. Can I still live there or no? If I start making 50K or whatever because I got a real full-time job. No, because it's based on your you income. You got to leave. Yeah. It's based on it's your income. If you're making a certain income, then you have to move on, you know, and you have to make room for someone else that is struggling and, and that's at that low income level and that's not encouraging that's I mean, not encouraging. If, if you that's all you knew your whole life that's why are you going to try to move up another level yeah you know and, well, and take I, in take in mind that this that they have now what you call self-sufficiency programs okay and that is designed to help people to get jobs get the get the diploma um, get jobs and then the money that they bring in, that they take a portion of that and they put it into their savings. Mm-hmm. And once they, they put it in their savings for to, to accumulate, where well, they can get a down payment for a home. Mm-hmm. So it's helping them to progress, yeah, yeah. giving them somewhat of a goal to set and also you know to aim at something that is... Yeah. So there's some measures being put in place to Correct. help them move forward. But, Correct. But Are they effective? Do they work? Yeah. For some. Mm-hmm. You know, because... To some of the families, dep- have you seen families move out because they've got a house? I've seen others payment? move. I've seen some okay. move out. And um, even I mean, that's back, awesome. Even if, back when I was living there. Yeah. To be honest with you, back when I was living there, I've seen families move out and be, you know, very successful. Mm-hmm. You know, um, their husband, they found, you know, the wife, they get jobs, the kids are doing well. Um, Is so, that a hard transition to make from going 
from that community you've been in your whole life and then moving out of that? Or is it pretty natural? It depends on it depends on how many years you've been living down there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some families that live that live down there for like more than eight years or maybe mm-hmm. ten years. Personally, I lived down there for four and a half, fourteen and a half years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Me and my family, we lived there for fourteen and a half years. So moving out of that mindset is not an easy feat. Yeah. So you can physically move out, but yeah. mentally it be, it's progressive. You know, yeah. in terms of you know just progressively you know changing the way you think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know your perspective. In terms of on life, but for me personally, I can't speak for everyone, and I'm not saying this is for everyone. I came to I came to Christ mm-hmm. in Clifford Court. Mm. You follow me? Yeah. I started my first year in college in Clifford Court. Wow. You see what I mean? So, one lady once told me this. Older lady, her name was Mother Davis. I never forget her. She dropped me off from church. I was living in Clifford Court. And, and when I was pulling up, everybody was outside, people, music, and, you know, people just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And I was about to get out the door, and she said something to me i never forget. Mm-hmm. She said, she used to call me son. She said, son, and taking my mother, David, used to live in Chicago, so she'd know about survival and yeah. tough living. So she wasn't just saying anything. She said, son, just because you live in the ghetto, you don't have to let the ghetto live in you. Wow. And I looked at her. That's I was like, good. wow. And I walked out and I went into my apartment knowing that I was still surrounded by a lot of, you know, things that could have, you know, sent me down the wrong path every day. But it was my perspective, you know, that changed. Wow. And that's, that's good. I want to, I want to come back to that. So remember that. Sure. I have one more thing no I want to talk about before we kind of get into the no thriving aspect of mm-hmm. it. But, um, so put a pin in that. No problem. I remember you telling me a story mm-hmm. and you're going to do it better justice because it's your story about this Jamaican guy that basically prevented you from becoming a drug dealer yeah. when you were in the hood mm-hmm. because so tell me how that all worked. I just remember yeah. it was like under a tree and Correct. and he's like, no, man. And he you kind of he warded off the drug um, operation there Correct. for you. Yeah. From just as a resident. But I, can you tell me? Uh, sure. Get, get a quick uh, version of that. Cause Give you a quick version. I want people to understand who you are, where you're coming from. And sure. then, so then when you say things, yeah. it carries that weight. Right. And yes, so I sir. want you to understand, like, you were almost a drug dealer. You were almost. almost I mean, there's any number of things could have happened to you in your situation where you were raised. Correct. Um, this is in the light, late 80s. So what happened was that during this particular time, Drugs began to flood our community, flood our community. Also, you know, in different neighborhoods throughout Elgin, began to literally flood our communities. I hung with a group of guys that we played basketball every day. We had a nice basketball court down in Clifford Court, and we played ball every day. All of a sudden, these guys began to get into selling drugs. And How old were you at the time? At the time, I was 17. 17. And... I was like the last one to get on board with it. So during that particular time, I was being offered on several occasions, Raj, hey, you know, he's making me offers. Hey, Raj, get on with us, you know, serve with us. That's the terminology you use, serving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You're serving, you know what I mean? You're going to serve doing another with kind us. of serving now, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're serving Jesus now. Yeah, exactly. Serving, <laughs> exactly. Everybody's serving, yeah, I mean, right? serving that ganja. You what know are you saying? serving? <laughs> <laughs> So get that chicken working, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was serving coffee, but he yeah. didn't want to take yeah, it. Yeah, he didn't exactly. want to. Yeah. <laughs> so we use the terminology serving. And I always just kind of like pause because at that particular time, I'll be honest with you, my family, we was, we was poor. Okay, we, we, we lived off the public, public assistance. So we depended on a check once yeah. a month, okay, you know, on food stamps. So I was kind of, I was living in that survival mode. So I'm like kind of desperate. And we was, I was going, working a little KDK job at that time, making a little money. But what they was offering me was like more than triple than what I would oh, get. Oh, easy, yeah. So also at that time, there was a particular movie that, in, that um, influenced a lot of us in that community. It's a movie that back, back in those days, Scarface. <laughs> okay, say hello to my, my little, little friend. friend. yeah. So, uh, wow. anyway, Scarface came out and hit the community, man. Oh, wow. So that whole thing was about pretty much starting from the bottom and getting up to the top, you know, trying to, you know, enjoy the finer things of life. 
by way of selling ser- serving drugs. Mm-hmm. So on this particular day, it was in the summer, and I was standing um, right in front of pretty much it was a drug house, drug apartment. You know, this is where guys went in and, and did drugs. This particular apartment building, and the guy who lived there, he was a he was a Jamaican guy, had a strong accent. And the guys were standing out in front of his apartment there. And I was out there talking with the guys because I know them and we play basketball together and everything. So we just talking. And the guy made this last appeal to me. He said, Roger, now is the time to get on. And he began to tell me pretty much a list of things that they're enjoying, the finer things in life that mm-hmm. they're enjoying. You know, and I can tell you a list of that. <laughs> so I'm listening to it and I'm just kind of <laughs> some of them you can't uh, say on the radio there right, sure. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they was making thousands and thousands of dollars and he pretty much customized it for me he said Roger this is what I do all I need you to do is continue to play basketball like you always do everybody know that's what you do when you're down the court people know that's no strange thing that's, that's normal that's what Roger do you continue to play basketball, and we'll just send the customers to you, and you just serve them. And I'm thinking, like, wow, that means that I didn't have to go out at night or go out on the corners watching my back and those kind of, like, different people be, put themselves in high-risk situations. Yeah. All I had to do is do what I always did. The customers would be sent to me, and I just give the delivery. I just make the serve. And I was just like, I'm going to be honest with you. I was not strong enough to withstand that and say, hey, no. Take in mind, just hear that real close. I was not strong enough to tell him no myself. Mm-hmm. He had me at a standstill because I was like, I'm thinking. Before I could even say another word out of my mouth after all he shared with me, which was very good at that time, I'll be honest with you. The guy, the Jamaican guy who... who it was a drug... Who was a drug addict. Drug addict himself. He did drugs. He did drugs. You wouldn't know about looking at him, but he did drugs. He overheard the conversation. He stood right in between both of us. And he looked at that guy. He said, you are not going to get this guy caught up in drugs and have his mom worried about him Mm. being out in the streets. And when he said that, me and him, me and my friend, we looked at the dude. Before you know it, I walked away. I went my way. He went his way. Wow. So this is what I'm saying here, that it was the the influence of my mother. Hmm. God used the influence of my mom to stop that deal. Wow. Because I was about to make a deal. I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't tell the guy no. It was the influence of my mother. Because the guy said, you're not going to have his mother. Yeah. That was the key. No, that's good. My mom, the influence of my mom in that community, my mom was very well respected in that community. Yeah. And that guy respected my mom enough to know that if Raj get involved in this, the impact it's going to have on his mother. So for the sake of his mom, no, you're not going to get Raj involved in it. Wow. And that right there changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. Right at wow. that very moment. The trajectory of my life began to change at that very moment. I was never the same. It's amazing. Because you know why? Because that very afternoon, later that afternoon, I was scheduled to get on a Greyhound bus and to go visit my father in Arkansas. At that time, he was a believer, and he still is. He's a believer. He had got married, and I had a host of cousins down there. My grandfather, my cousins, host of cousins who was devout, devoted believers. I went down, and I was visiting. I was going to get on the Greyhound to visit them that very day. Wow. And when I went down to visit my father, that's when I first was encountered by God. Wow. And my life never changed when I came back. When I came back from that trip, I was never the same. God, I just got goosebumps. That's like so, so powerful. You see that? On that yeah. exact same day. Yeah. That was a make or break day for that was a, that was a, Yeah, it was. So God used like my mom. God used the influence of my mom, mom in that community to stop what had probably could have destroyed my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I could have either been in jail, shot, or God knows. Right. Maybe strung out on drugs. I don't know. Because some guys start off selling, they end up using it. Yeah. Look at it. That's how he used my mom. On the second, he used my dad, who took me to church. Hmm. 
And by him taking me to church, just being in the presence of other people, I experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was convicted. Wow. I knew that, wow, I need a change in my life. That's good, man. So that was a changing point in my life right there. Wow. Jesslyn, do you have any questions? If you don't, I got plenty of them. But I know you haven't heard this story yet. Roger and I know each other for years. Exactly. Jesslyn's just getting to know. So. Or any thoughts or anything to I'm just kind of taking it all in. It's a really, really powerful story. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, a lot to, it's a lot to handle. Um, well, Roger, t- talk to us about the, the main question we ask um, yeah. guests is, you know, what does thriving mean to you? And so you, you co- covered a, quite a few things <clears throat> and you can, you know, we won't right. have a chance probably to cover all of that, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. or to use that as an example. But what does thriving mean to you? Yeah. That's a good question, Ben. Um, I can't say that I have the full meaning of what thriving in. But well, I, that, but and I, that's great because, yeah. you know what, that's why we bring different yeah. people on the yeah. show. Why we offer yeah. our perspectives and yeah. then people challenge us back and stuff because mm-hmm. I don't think anyone does. And exactly. I don't think we can get there without hearing mm-hmm. others. So, you know, exactly. given your perspective, I'd, re- yeah. I'd really like to hear that. I can tell you at this point in my life and this journey in my life and what I've experienced in life up until this point, what I've seen has been very fulfilling for me. And even to this day, it's very fulfilling for me. And it makes me come alive. I mm. put it that way. Because when I think of thriving, I think of you engaging in something in life that, that makes you come alive. Yeah, it's good. You follow me? It's yeah. like, you know, you become fully human. Yeah. You know? And um, uh, being really what you was meant to be. Not what someone kind of put on you and slap on you yeah. and label you. There you go. But you, 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 you come alive without You should see, Justin, she's taking an offering over here for you, Roger. Yeah. She's got the, she's passing around the hat. There's only three of us in the room, but I got to put something in there, Justin. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, and it's like, you come alive without any apology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Oh, that's so good. That's what I said. write that down. You come alive without any apology. It's really what you see is really what you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's good. And, and it's like I can be with you and I can walk away and not feel like I have to apologize or go back and apologize to Ben for what I was to you. Yeah. Follow me or how I expressed myself to you. Yeah. Because I was really being who I you're confident who you are. Exactly. You're, you're free. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. So it's really in, the, in that place of security. And there's been moments in my life where I have had a taste of that. Because I can tell you that I, I taste it every day. But there are moments where I taste it, and I feel it, and it's good. <laughs> so when you remember those moments, how did you get there, or what happened, or what was it a life event, or what did you do to to taste that? Yeah. Can you think of anything? Yeah. One, <clears throat> excuse me, is for me is to um, is having this growing relationship with the Father, with God the Father. That's 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 that's, that's the first thing. Yeah. Because. God is and always continue to be the best that ever happened to me in my life. I, I truly say that. And I don't say this like sounding religious. Yeah, yeah. You follow me? Um, well, you could have been a drug addict and dead. I could have been you a drug addict. I could have been free with Jesus. I could have been dead. <laughs> Which one sounds better than exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah. Prior to coming to Jesus, I was in a major depression. Mm. Whereas I could not sleep in my own bed at night. Mm. I'm a teenager. I couldn't sleep in my own bed at night. You know where I used to sleep at? In my mom's room down on the floor next to her bed. Wow. Because I was just afraid of the night. Wow. You know what I mean? Because the night almost like represented death for me. And death was like this mystery for me. Like almost like what's going to happen to me if death do come? Mm. So I was afraid of death. I was was afraid of the night. So I was in this place of depression. I almost dropped out of school. I came very close to dropping out of school. So... I was at a, I know what it means to be at a very low place where you look out and there's sunshine. But all you but, see is but there's, but there, but yeah. there's darkness yeah. on the inside yeah. of you. You are just yeah. full. Of, you're just yeah. dark. You're just, you're just gloomy. And it's like someone heavy. put sunglasses right on top of Ex- you and that's all you can see. Exactly. That, like you're walking on a shade on. all yeah, day or exactly. something, you know? Yeah. But it's sun out. Yeah. So I experienced that. But when I was introduced to God, man. Some people tell me, like, Raji, man, like, you you radically change. Um, it, my life changed 
I mean, like, I'm losing for I'm losing words right now, yeah. Dan. When I think about it, you know, like, um, what he did for me, what he continues to do me do for me, and what he means to me in my life, it's the best. That's the beginning for me. That's the beginning for me. When I think about thriving, that's at the top. God being in a loving relationship with God and growing in that relationship makes me come alive. Yeah. I bust out the door and like, come on. You know what I mean? I just yeah. want to like, yes. Being with God is like, it's like embracing a big yes. Mm. That's good. <laughs> God affirmed yeah. me for who I was, man. He affirmed me for who I am. You know, I feel like uh, I have purpose. I have meaning. Number two, the essence of life, I believe, is two things. Love, and God is love. And number two is relationship. Because love gives and shares of itself. God is love. He gives and he shares of himself. So when God loved me so, I want to give and share of that love with others. So I look at the aspect of having relationships and having genuine, authentic relationship with other people in your life who gives you that freedom to be who you are. And you give them that freedom as well to be yeah. who they are. Yeah. It's like you release. You create a culture you, or a th or like an atmosphere of yeah. thrive. Like you get to show up and yeah. be who you are. Yes, I get to show up and be who I am. Yeah. and there's no apologies for that. We're just gonna be. Yeah, that's good. You follow me. So, what I would love to hear some more on is what does thriving look like with the people that you work with that you minister yeah. to, like you know you you work in those low income communities you're in the thick of it and you really know what it means to grow up there you know most <clears throat> most of us most of our listeners don't understand that dynamic and i would really love to hear what does it mean to thrive in that does does thriving only mean they get out or how do they thrive yeah, in the middle of that good. it sounds like you started thriving while you were still there. Yeah. And then you were able to move up, but then stay stay rooted in where you came from. So I don't know. I just want to hear more on that. That's a very good question. I think that I, I believe there's a difference between thriving and surviving. Mm -hmm. Yep. And for the community that I grew up in and that many of people that, that around me grew up in, the first thing we learned was survival. And in so many ways, we 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 thought that if we can if I can survive very well, then somehow I'm thriving. Yeah, that's that's a huge lie. That's a huge. lie. I mean, lie. but it, but it's it's not huge. As, it's pervasive. I it mean, is. That's, it is. It is. My experience in that too. Yeah. Just talking with the people that mm -hmm. live there currently mm -hmm. is like, or did that anyways yeah. was like. Yeah, I would say they would say that whether yeah. they know that or like, yeah. whether they can articulate that way or not. Yeah. That's 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 kind of the overarching yeah. thing of their life. It, it, it's a lie, and um, and you're someone living on the edge. Okay, there was an old song, hip hop song, by um, Grandmaster Flash, <laughs> Melly Mel, <laughs> and in early '80s, and it was called "The Message." And I can I can I can resonate with that message of his song so well and many of us in our community can as well when it came out it was like the song man because mm. everyone was able to resonate with it. we understood what that meant and this I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some of the lyrics he said don't push me because i'm close to the edge i'm trying not to lose my head uh-huh uh -huh. it's like <laughs> a jungle sometimes that make me wonder how i keep from going under mm. It's like a jungle sometimes that make me wonder how I keep from going under. That was life. Wow. That was life. That was about surviving. That was the fact that everybody in here is on the edge. Hmm. So how do you make the move from survival to mm -hmm. thriving? Yeah. Okay. That's the survival. That's where I was at. 
But you got to understand where I was at. Mm-hmm. How one makes the move. For me, in my experience, is that, first of all, I, I came to know God. And not only when I came to know God, I became surrounded by other people um, that helped me. What I didn't find in my house, which was not a godly man, I didn't have a godly, I had a good mother, mm-hmm. but I never had a godly man who was able to look me in my eyes and to grab me by my hands and help pull me up. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. But when I found him was in the house of God, mm-hmm. it was my pastor. Okay? Mm-hmm. It was a man who was willing to look me in my eyes with my best interests yeah. and to tell me that you have a purpose that's more than, at that time, all I knew my purpose was just playing basketball, football, just being an athlete. Mm-hmm. But he introduced me and began to challenge me that, you know what, there's other things about you that you can do mm-hmm. in life and that you can be in life. You have to seek out for it. Listen here. One of the greatest forms of poverty, it's not lack of money. It's not lack of housing. One of the greatest forms of poverty is believing that you do not have a vocation. Hmm. And by that, I mean you have nothing to contribute. Wow. Yeah. to the greater good and the development of the human population. Mm-hmm. Wow. When one don't believe that, okay, when they don't believe that I really have no value, no sense of vocation, then what you get is people who become dependent mm-hmm. on a system. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? We use the terminology, my name is Jimmy, what you gonna give me? <laughs> Follow me? Wow. Mm-hmm. So when I came, I, I began to surround myself around people that challenged me that you have vocation. That's good. You're not just an athlete. A lot of times in our community. And vocation, just for the way you're saying it, isn't just a job, no. or uh, but it's like a, a purpose. A purpose. A purpose. A, an actual, like a, you know, you are a substance of something that exactly. you contribute. Exactly. Yeah. So while I was living there in that community, we got to understand that even though we lived in an area where there's low income, there was poverty, there was a lot of people was was um, stricken by survival, that you had jewels down there. You had people down there yeah. that had faith. Okay? And almost like what well, was sin abound, grace abound, even much more, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So we had people there, like women and people that praying women that pray for the community, pray for people there. My mother, my mother was the first person in my life who made me feel and believe that I was great. Mm. It's my mother. She instilled that in me. Living in that community, I felt and I believed that I am necessary. Mm. So is that what's needed in those communities is for people to understand their purpose? Do you think that's a a piece that's that's missing? Yes. Purpose, mentors, mm-hmm. um, of course, they always have good mothers. You know, it just they just got so much on them. They're carrying so much. Mm-hmm. Follow me? I, I never look down on single-parent moms who's a mothering three or four kids on her own. Yeah. You know what I mean? I take my hat off to them. I'm married, and I got two kids. <laughs> Lord, I thank God for my wife. I got the help. <laughs> You see what I mean? Yeah. How much more yeah. if it's a woman that's got two or right. three or four kids? Yeah. So mentoring, um, I think that affirmation, um, those are those are things. And I, another thing I want to say is opportunity for change. Mm. People need to know that I have a problem. Okay. Um, I think the bad thing is that if I rely upon a system to address my problem, and I have no involvement in it. Mm-hmm. I think that people need to know that you have what it takes, along with some assistance, 
to help resolve the problem that you are in. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Because if I don't play a part, if I don't take no ownership, mm-hmm. if I'm not told that you have the capability of, with some help of assistance, to help resolve the problem that you are in, what it shows is that you have value, mm-hmm. you have vocation, you have something to offer that's of significance, mm-hmm. Um you have dignity. It respects the person's dignity. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. Those are things that help me. Follow me? And I was able to pull up because I was about to drop out of school. Mm-hmm. But once that changed, God came in. I got a community of people around me. I speaking finished, the truth I, over you. Exactly. Speaking truth on me, saying that. You had opportunity. No. You, you Roger, you, yeah. you are better than that. Yeah. yeah. That's the purpose of correction. It's to let a person know that you're better than that. Yeah, that's good. So pretty much people let me know like, Roger, you are better than that. Mm-hmm. That's not who you are. You're better than that. So and, and what up. did Mother Davis say? Mother, Mother Davis said this. Just because you live in the ghetto, you don't have to let the ghetto live in you. People saying this, you are a product of your environment. No, you can be a product of your decision. Ooh. Ooh. Say that again, nice and slow. For the you people in the back. Hey, the save the people in the back. Here we go here. Wind <laughs> back. You're not a product of your environment. You're a product of your decision. You can allow your environment to influence you, but you can make a decision which is far stronger than an outside influence. You can make a decision to do what's right, and that will produce change. Yeah. So good. That's good. So I have a question that's a little bit sure. off the path no that problem. we're on here. But um, so racial tensions are very high right now. I think everyone can see it. Sure. I am white. I grew up white, middle class, just, you know. And there just feels like there's this unreachable divide of – I hear these stories. I hear what you're saying. And just being raised white and being raised in a world where the racial tensions feel so tense, I feel like I have nothing. And I think a lot of our white listeners can would agree with this. Like, I feel like I don't have any permission to help these people to say anything to do anything but it it pulls on my heartstrings and i want to and so i'm i'm curious what your perspective is on that like do i do i need to just stay out of it do i jump in do i like what what do you do in that situation what what do you have to say to that it's a good question. <clears throat> it's a really good question. And I hear um, various things around that. Um, racism, then you get what you call the white privilege. I'm going to use that terminology. <laughs> um, those two words there. That's ruffles. a little bit of an inside joke for Roger and I or whatever. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that's why I laughed about white privilege yeah. is not yeah. funny itself. But anyways, no. we had a joke about that. No, it's, ago, um, so. it can ruffle people's feathers. Um, one is that I think most people don't want to be labeled as a racist. I think that's a fair thing. Most people don't. And I think that most, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the terminology of saying just calling people white people. I'm going to call them just European-American, but they're from European descent. <laughs> Can I use that word there? African-American, European-American. Okay. So, um, fair enough. <clears throat> fair enough. We, we, we label people with color so much. But I think that for the most part, they, of the majority culture, when we bring up racism or white privilege, is that I think it's that fear that they're going to be labeled as that. And so sometimes that causes them to dismiss themselves from the conversation altogether. Mm-hmm. Because maybe a fear also, not only that I'm going to be labeled as racist, but also a fear that if I engage in it, that I'm going to say something that's going to offend this African-American who may have experienced discrimination or racism and things of that sort. 
So it's like, you know what, I'm just going to stay out of it and just let kind of the, the, the government deal with it or people in politics or, you know, people in the social Until media. they shut down because they and, don't have any tax money yeah. on it. But anyways, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's easy kind of to just dismiss yourself from the conversation altogether. So you do have that out there. Um, I don't agree with it. I think that um, we need to move from conversation to dialogue. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is that we have to really sit down. And mm. that takes humility. It takes humility. It's one thing to have a conversation, but another thing to have a dialogue. Because if I have a dialogue with you, that means that I'm seeking to understand. Yeah. I want to really hear from you. And I'm going to give you the freedom. Say, I'm an African-American man. You're European, I'm a European-American woman. And I say, you know what? Let's have dialogue. And this, this, this is the rule that we're going to set before we enter. To, going into this dialogue is this. We're going to first, we're going to seek to understand. Okay? I want to hear you. I'm not going to interrupt you. I want to hear you. I want to hear from your perspective. Another one is that I want to give you the freedom to not feel like you have to be right. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Mm-hmm. That's good. Follow me? Yeah. Because some people won't say anything until they know that they're politically right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you're, too, you're too much in your head. Get it out. Yeah. yeah. Even if it don't come out right, get it out. And what's right, we'll get there. Yeah. That's good. But get it out first. Yeah, it's good. That's what people, that's dialogue. Get it out and talk it out. Mm-hmm. And then what's really right, then we can line up with that. That's mm-hmm. good. But that's until good. you first get it out, what you really feel, what your experience is, your narrative, uh-huh. let me hear you. Yeah. I will ask you some questions here and there based on the fact that I'm trying to understand. Yeah. And another one is that let's be honest. Let's not be afraid to, we have to use terminology, to go there. Meaning that let's keep it 100. Let's really be authentic as we can. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Because if I am, I'm I'm, going to say, you know what, I'm I'm, going to speak in a certain way because I don't want her to think that I'm this angry black man, African-American man that's full of rage. (laughs) (laughs) Got what I'm saying? So... I have to speak throw that tin of coffee right back in your face, girl. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Some people they can speak about this from two different places. You can speak about this from a healthy place or unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and we speak about it from an unhealthy place, meaning I'm wounded, I'm hurt. Yeah, and you may hear some of that come out. Yeah, you know, you know, I just, you know, got discriminated for. Or someone just followed me in the store for no reason. Mm-hmm. Or I just got denied, you follow me, certain things because of my color. Mm-hmm. So some of that may come out. We have to let it come out yeah. Yeah. and then move to a place of being healthy yeah. and, and healing and, and lining up and getting things right. So what I would say is that don't run from it. I would say that run to it. Yeah. It's a crisis. And there's two things that can happen. Chinese said this. Crisis is danger surrounded by opportunity. Mm. That's, huh. that, that's, how, that's, how, that's how Chinese see yeah. crisis. So wow. it's all in perspective, right? Yeah. So crisis is danger that's surrounded by opportunity. Wow. So what we do, so oftentimes what some people do is that, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to run away from it. Well, is, is that really helping Right. I think it's hurting more than anything. Passivity is the yeah. worst response oh, to that kind of thing. God. It does nothing done. Silence is a tragedy at times. Yeah. In that case, it yeah. could be a tragedy. We need to dialogue. We need to come together. I would say seek out another person, um, African-American, or Latino, whoever that may be, um, feeling this discrimination of some sort, and seek to get into a dialogue conversation mm-hmm. and get understanding and understand. Because you know what? Crazy is not crazy when you know what's behind it. Mm. Hmm. Crazy is not crazy when you know what's behind it. That makes sense. Sometimes you look on the surface thing, we see why people are, okay, let's go behind that because yeah. something happened. Yeah. yeah. Something, where is that coming from? Where, that, where is that coming from? Yeah. So sometimes we get intimidated and round, oh, then we stay away. That's just a manifestation. Yeah. Well, we got to get to the root of it. 
Then yeah. we get to the rose. Oh, this dude not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or he's not any more crazy than I am crazy. You, you know, I'm crazy too. He crazy. Exactly. We all be in one. Or, let know. me use another terminology. Oh, this 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 person's not a racist. Hmm. You know what the root may have been? Ignorance. Yep. You know what the root may have been? Fear. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's where it all starts, anyways. Exactly. You see what I mean? No, and then good. racism is a is a social construct. It's a system that has been set in place. Yeah. And system what it it, 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 it creates behaviors. What do you mean it's a system set in place? Can you clarify yeah. that? Well, it's a system that, wow, we can go historically with this, that's set in place in terms of when the economics, mm-hmm. the politics, social um, media, housing, education, mm-hmm. healthcare, all these are systems. And, off, and the systems, within these systems, it, it, it's, it has been set up in such a way to where it has discriminated a certain group of people, mm-hmm. where they don't have the opportunity to progress or opportunity to thrive. Yeah. And some of those things. Yeah. yeah. You follow me? Um, and that has, the system wasn't like built to really um, help all people flourish. Yeah. That's the system. Mm-hmm. Historically, if we go back yeah. into our history, obviously we've seen some changes that have happened and whatever, you know, but we still got work to do. Yeah. So I think that what we're seeing right now that is happening right now it's it's a manifestation of what's at the root. It's a manifestation of what's at the root. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost like America's original sin. Mm. Wow. And we can't ignore it, but we have to enter into dialogue and enter to a place where we can get healing. So Roger, we we got we're running to the end of our time here. This is all good. <laughs> we're gonna have to get get with you again, man. This is part yeah, this is part two worthy right here. <laughs> That's but a good, good this question. is good conversation. Let's let's try to summarize, and sure. then I want a challenge from you here, um, just so that we can. Sure. So if if you had to tell me in only a few sentences, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. So if you need a second to think about it, it's fine because okay. you got I want you to condense it down to everybody. Sure. It's because if I, I can always just banter back and yeah, forth endlessly. Yeah, yeah, well, so we can whatever joke. time you need. <laughs> <laughs> but. Tell me a couple things. So for your own life, I want like a couple summaries here. For your own life, what does it take to thrive? And you have a list here that you kind of went through. So summarize that really quick. Sure. Then I want you to touch on this last question that Jocelyn just asked. For racism not to thrive, but for people to get outside of that or an anti-discrimination, if I can put it that way, mm-hmm. to move from discrimination to thriving, what, is, what does that take? I want a summary of that. So if you, I'm going to give you a second to think about that because uh, – I feel like you said some good stuff here that just, you know, I don't want people to get caught in the, I want people to catch the, the summary of it in the sense that you can get caught up in the conversation as a story, but what's the point, right? Like what's the, you know, what's the moral? So anyways, um, voy a hablar en español a Jessalyn. Okay, but I, voy a Chin cafe. So she knows one word. Mm-hmm. This is a very important word. This is this is like the one Spanish word that. Can we play a lot stuck. of card games? We love playing games, and I found this to be very useful in this context. Of, I call Ben tramposo, which means cheater. Cheater. So I taught her that word. I shouldn't have taught her that word. <laughs> it's, it's the only because she just uses it against me the whole the time. It's the only that's really well. He called me tramposa, and I was like, "What does that mean?" And he said, "Cheater," yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, how do I say that to you?" And I, I just, I never let up. So anytime he's beating me, so it's I good. Just start, We're just bringing a little cultural flair to this end of this conversation. Yeah. So. Roger, you ready with your summary, man? Yes. All right. Mine, in terms of some action steps one can take to thrive. Number one, seek God. Seek him with all of your heart. Um, Ask him to show you more about who he has created you to be and how you can best um, honor him and love others. Number two, humility. Be humble. Be teachable. Um, Bored people are unchanging people. If you want to be enthused in life, be a learner. Okay? Learning is for life, and life is for learning. Number three, surround yourself with people um, 
um, that you can enter into authentic relationships with. Don't surround yourself with people who are just like you. Not every you shouldn't have everybody that just like you or have think just the way you think. Have people that will challenge you at times. Yeah, challenge you to think outside quote unquote your box. All of us walk around with a box, whether we believe it or not, and we got to be willing to stretch ourselves. So the other things I think that will help one to enter more into a, a life of thriving. Yeah. Good. Yes. And the next question, Van, could you just kind of rephrase that again with yeah. me? Just yeah. So my question like, was for racism to die and for people to move from I'm in a system of discrimination to now I'm thriving. What does that take in your mind? Wow. And I know it's a bigger question than <laughs> we have time to really unpack, but you had to kind of summarize what you were talking about with Jesslyn earlier that I'd, I'd love to hear your. That's you know, huge. your final word on that. And then, you know, hopefully we can get you back another time and, and really dig in that one. Cause yeah. I think that that's a whole nother topic, but I didn't want to leave that an open-ended See. thing. You know, I wanted to close that at least for now. See, I think as a systemic level that on any, any level, it needs to be repentance and repentance means a change of mind, a change of heart. Yeah. 180. It needs to be a change. Okay. The system, a systemic level, excuse me, that there needs to be a change in policies that whereas um, things are um, arranged in a way where everyone is tre- created, I mean, are, are treated with equality. Mm-hmm. Everyone is treated with fairness. I think that everyone desires that. And, um, Frederick Douglass once said that, and he lived in a time when racism was really strong. He said that, I will treat you like a human being. Because I am a human being. Hmm. Um, respecting each other's humanity, you know, um, that's what we have in common, you know, is that we respect each other and our humanity, and everyone deserves a fair chance, fair opportunity to, um, to thrive in life. Yeah. So, that's good. repentance is. So, changing the way you think, and creating, changing the way you operate. Yes. To create equality and opportunity for everybody. Everybody, regardless of their color, regardless of their ethnicity. And do you think that dialogue is one of the keys to be able to make that 180 um, thought change? I think that that's a huge piece. They just had a clip came out. Uh, a man called in. I think he was from the southern state, maybe in North Carolina. He called into an African-American lady, and he confessed. He said, I am prejudiced. He said, I am prejudiced. And I want to change. Mm. Could you help me? Wow. That's and that I, humble piece you were talking about. That's that humble there. piece. He confessed it for himself. I am prejudiced. And you said, he said, there's many people, he said, that agree with some of my views. But I have to confess myself. But I want to change. Mm. Could you help me? That's good. Powerful. What if those those kind of conversations start? And it can be vice versa. You know, one can come and say that I'm I'm angry and I have rage, I have unforgiveness, and you know I need help. True confession. Yeah, that brings a change. It's good. So we need we need those kind of. So dialogues. Roger, let's say I'm with you. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I know only white people. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And I only know people that think like me, and I'm realizing it right now because I'm hearing this. Mm-hmm. Which that was very me before meeting Ben. Yeah. He's okay. pulled me into a lot of okay. different social circles and it's it's been amazing. Cool. Other than marrying someone who will pull, <laughs> do that, what would be your recommendation? Like one action step they could take. Yeah. Let's say they only know let's say they're not doing any of that because they just you know, they don't know anybody they hadn't thought about, but they're coming to a realization. What would you tell them to do today? First thing I want them to acknowledge is this that you are limiting yourself you're limiting your growth you're limiting your ability to to know god greater than what you know now yeah because god is too big to show all who he is through only one ethnicity group yes he's too big for that yeah just look at the universe he feels all of that how he just i'm gonna just show all who i am just to one particular group of people no God shows all who he in, in his diversity and the, the nuances of who God is. It is displayed to all different ethnicities. Yeah. Unity is not 
sameness, it is expressed through diversity. Yeah. So yeah. I would encourage that person, seek out someone, not just anybody, not any Joe Blow out there. Seek out someone that you can start entering into an authentic relationship with and begin to just foster that relationship. Someone that's different than you, ethnicity, um, maybe gender, whatever, and just begin those kind of dialogues and conversations with them. And watch, you, watch yourself grow. That's good. Because difference is not a threat. That's good. Difference is not a threat. It's an opportunity to broaden yourself. That's good. Well, we'll leave you with that. Difference is not a threat. Go make a friend of somebody who looks different, acts yes. different, thinks different than yes. you. So Bye. Good. See you guys later. See you. Bye. Bye.